This is the Bible in One Year Express, Day 41. Life-Changing Words My father wanted to go to Russia before he died. We went there on holiday as a family. At that time, Bibles were strictly illegal in the Soviet Union. I took with me some Russian Bibles. While I was there, I went to churches and looked for people who seemed to be genuine Christians. Church meetings were often infiltrated by the KGB. On one occasion, I followed a man down the street after a service. I went up to him and tapped him on the shoulder. There was nobody about. I took out one of my Bibles and handed it to him. For a moment, he had an expression of utmost disbelief. Then he took from his pocket a New Testament that was probably a hundred years old. The pages were so threadbare, they were virtually transparent. When he realized that he had received a whole Bible, he was elated. He didn't speak any English, and I didn't speak any Russian. But we hugged each other, and he started to run up and down the street, jumping for joy. The words of God are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Why are the words of God so precious? Jesus said, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The original expression means, is continually coming out of the mouth of God is like a stream pouring forth and like a stream of a fountain it is never static. God is continually communicating with us. He does so primarily through the life-changing words of the Bible. From Psalm 19 For the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of God transform you. We all need the transforming power of God's words in so many ways. Whether you're seeking wisdom in stressful and complex situations, encouragement when you're downhearted, or guidance on the way forward you can find help in the pages of the Bible. David did not have nearly as much of the Bible as you have, but he did have the law, the statutes, the precepts, and the ordinances of the Lord. He described these words as being perfect, pure, and precious. In this psalm, we see some of the life-changing effects of reading the Bible. It revives your soul, brings you wisdom, gives joy to your heart, gives light to your eyes, warns you of danger, brings you great reward. Reading the Bible and praying are very closely associated. Don't simply read the Bible for information, but to hear God speaking to you. The natural response to that is prayer. It's a two-way process. That's why we finish each section of this Bible in One Year commentary with a prayer, responding to what God has shown us through his word. David goes straight from extolling the virtues of the word of God into a wonderful prayer. David's prayer is my prayer. Lord, forgive my hidden faults. 
Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. New Testament from Matthew 26 While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man, arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Be guided by the words of God. Jesus clearly studied the scriptures very carefully. His whole life was shaped by what he read. It was from his reading of the scriptures that he understood what was happening to him when he was arrested. His companions tried to resist, but Jesus said, How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? He explains to the crowd that this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. It was the scriptures that gave him the ability to deal with disloyalty abandonment and false accusation. He set an example of how you can deal with these things in your own life. First, disloyalty. Judas appears to be expressing his love for Jesus with a kiss when actually he's betraying him. The betrayer embraced him and kissed him and pretended warmth and devotion. It was the ultimate two-faced act. Jesus knew exactly what Judas was doing. Nevertheless, he called him friend. However disloyal we are, Jesus remains loyal to us. Second, abandonment. All his friends deserted him and fled. In the moments of triumph, when people get engaged, 
have a baby or do well in their exams, it's natural to want to make contact and be around them. When people are down, it's much harder to know what to say and the temptation is, in effect, to abandon them. It's said, when you're up in life, your friends get to know who you are. When you're down in life, you get to know who your friends are. Third, false accusation. Have you ever been falsely accused? It's a horrible experience. Jesus faced the terrible injustice of false witnesses testifying against him in order that they might put him to death. He exercised extraordinary restraint. He did not answer back. Jesus remained silent. But he allowed himself to be attacked physically. And he chose not to win the argument, but rather to win the war. Something for small group hosts on Alpha to remember. He understood from the scriptures that all of this had a purpose and would lead ultimately to a great victory. Jesus' understanding of his own identity and of his mission clearly came from his reading of the Word of God. At his trial before the Sanhedrin, where Jesus appears to be a helpless victim, he's actually progressively revealed as the builder of a new temple, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Son of Man, who was to be enthroned at God's right hand. In reality, the helpless victim is the one with all the authority and power. The reference to being the Son of Man is a quotation from Daniel 7.13. Jesus understood this as a messianic promise about himself, pointing to his coming suffering, his vindication, and his God-given authority. The irony is that it is the judges who are actually the ones on trial. Like them, we all have to decide what we think about Jesus. Lord, help me to follow the example of Jesus, studying the scriptures and applying them to my own life. Old Testament, from Exodus 6 to 8. Now, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron about the Israelites and Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he commanded them to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet, Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. Obey the words of God. Moses and Aaron listened to God's words and did exactly what God commanded them to do. They obeyed the word of God. On the other hand, in stark contrast, Pharaoh constantly refused to obey. He stubbornly disobeyed the word of God. At this stage in history, Moses may not have had any written words from God, but the Lord spoke to Moses. He heard the word of God over and over again and did what God commanded. The heart of God's word was, Let my people go so that they may worship me. We should not be surprised that the magicians and sorcerers, by their enchantments and secret arts, were able to perform some of the same miracles as Moses. 
The devil is an imitator. He's able to perform destructive signs and even some that may appear constructive. His aim is always to deceive. Today, God often works through the gifts of the Spirit, such as prophecy, healing, speaking in tongues and words of knowledge. The fact that the devil may attempt to imitate such gifts through telepathy, spiritualized healing or even speaking in tongues does not mean that you should avoid such things, but rather be discerning about them. Look to the fruit. The Egyptian magicians imitated Moses' miracles by their secret arts. The effect of these magicians was not neutral. They were evil and had the effect of hardening Pharaoh's heart against God. It is clear that Pharaoh hardened his own heart against God. He hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron. At the same time, he reaped what he had sown. God hardened his heart. The two are complementary. God's hardening of the heart follows Pharaoh's own hardening. God gives people so many opportunities. Through Moses, God repeatedly spoke to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had plenty of opportunities to respond and ultimately he refused to do so. Moses, on the other hand, walked in a very close relationship with God, praying to him often and listening to his words. Lord, thank you that in obeying your words there is great reward. Help me today not only to listen to your life-changing words, but also to put them into practice. Pepper adds, It's encouraging to know that Jesus had more than 12 legions of angels at his disposal, as it says in Matthew 26. Even if he didn't call on them at that time, hopefully they're being sent out all over the world to help us now.